trying to wear us out. No. It's clear the enemy is not after this ship. They're trying to capture Gundam. Alright everybody, welcome back. This is episode 26 of Gundam and MAHQ, and along with uh, myself, Neo Lornok, I'm joined by always with uh, Solbro Ryu and hey. Chris. Say hello Yo. guys. Um, today's episode, we're going to be doing, um, we're going to be starting season two reviews of du- uh, Gundam 00, uh, reviewing the first three episodes. Uh, we actually thought about doing eight, but we figured, um, you know... <laughs> We might as well just uh, kind of break the norm here and just do three. Uh, we're also going to be going doing a return to listener-submitted topics, and this one is from one of the posters on the Mecha Talk site, and this is from um, The Hod on Mecha Talk. And this episode, or the topic, is actually going to be Soul Bros Men, what it takes to be one, why you'd want to be one, and who the hell cares about them. <laughs> And finally, we'll be doing the 13th installment of Gundam Roundup, and we'll be joined again with a special guest. Uh, he's been on uh, some of the Gius um, episodes that we've had, the co Gius episodes, and that is Gius Authority, Gius Officiano. Um, call him uh, Armoro NT1V Britannia, because <laughs> he knows so much about Gius. Before we begin, uh, got some good news coming here. Not too much news because it is holiday time and, you know, not much going on, I guess, and bad economy and all that other stuff. But uh, this one comes from uh, GundamNews.net, and this is some good stuff. I'll be waiting for my translations to come, one of, you know, shortly whenever these come out. But there's some uh, upcoming Gundam publications coming. Uh-huh. Um, it's going to be Volume 18 of Mobile Suit Gundam The Origin. It's uh, the Lala Arc Part 2. Uh, then we're going to have Mobile Suit Gundam Vanishing Machine Volume 2, Gundam Legacy Volume 1, uh, Mobile Suit Gundam The Plot to Assassinate Garen Volume 2, nice, and Mobile Suit Gundam Unicorn Volume 7, the very popular, very um, highly anticipated one that everybody wants to come over here. Uh, and this one is titled The Black Gundam. And I actually saw, kind of a side note, I was looking at some model pics and I saw the master grade of the Black Gundam. It looks pretty cool. What? It that's, looks that's really cool. cool. Get so. back to the plot to assassinate um, Girion, man. Is, is Tom Cruise showing up? <laughs> um, n- Valkyrie I, Gundam? Sweet. Uh, uh, no. Darn. No. Um, no. Let's Tom. hope there's not a Tom Cruise lookalike in that. Oh, snap. <laughs> well, then. Some other news here. And, you know, the days are counting for Animated News Network as I grab these stories off them. And this is some uh, anime music. Uh, the double O singles, the first single, which is Chikati Ishikawa's prototype, which is the ending theme for season two, uh, is, is at the charts, the number three on the Japanese charts. And uh-huh. they sold about 29,000 copies. Probably multiply that by four, the copies stolen off the internet. <laughs> and ranked at number 11 is Overworld's uh, opening theme. I'm not even going to go with that opening theme there. And it ranked number 11 with 11,900 copies sold. Yeah. And um, some other music news. And the Ma- the third Macross album, Chris or Solbro, do you have that yet? Third, uh, Macross the third Frontier Macross album? Frontier album? I believe I do, yeah. Okay. It's 
Yeah, it's so. So I guess you're part of. I guess you're part of the seventy-two thousand copies that were sold in the first week. I sure am. Yeah, good, great, and it ranked uh, number three. And this was back in June, and it was the first al- anime album in eleven years to reach the top three. So, really? Yeah, it's doing really, really well. I'm glad we helped. Yeah, <laughs> y- you guys with you know. Yeah, I hope the conversion ratio is good from dollars to yen. Yeah, that's right. got a good rate there. See that RIAA people are buying. Yeah. And a- actually, as much as I hate to say this, it's the first time in um, the second Macross uh, Frontier soundtrack sold 102,000 copies in the first week of October. I'm sure you guys' copies are in that number also. And that was the first time any soundtrack, anime or live action, had sold more than 100,000 copies in the first week since uh, 97's End of Evangelion album. So, oh, man. Um, you know, just as uh, such a good show, it's also doing really well uh, musically, which is probably more important <laughs> to yeah. a Macross show. Uh, <laughs> For than, its reputation. Uh, yeah, because <laughs> what was there, like about 15 different Firebomber albums? So, uh, and s- last little news that I got from Anime News Network, uh, there was a list of the top-selling DVDs in Japan uh, that was released for 2008. And it's uh, the rankings for uh, DVDs and Blu-ray discs sold between December 2007 and December 2008. And there's actually some interesting things on here. Um, Most of them are probably things that we don't know or there's certain certain copies here that are like um, we already know about. They're like American imports, like Transformers sold the most copies. Um, but there's actually some pretty interesting uh, ones right here, and that is going to be where is the most Blu-rays sold, 35,000 copies. Whoa. And that is Macross Frontier number one. Man. So um, just like that, we saw that they're doing pretty well uh, CD-wise, doing really well, um, you know, uh, disc size, must or be nice. disc sales too. Must be nice to be a Japanese otaku that's into Blu-ray. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Half the money to all that crap. Oh, jeez, man. That budget's off the chain. And, and a side note, and I hate to say this because I know it pains Chris just as much as I do it. have to say it, but um, for theatrical anime DVDs, the most copies sold for 297927 uh was Evangelion 1.0. Oh, yeah. So... As, as long as the best-selling DVD in Japan isn't Twilight, I'm okay. <laughs> no. Um, actually, that was the Transformer Special Collector's Edition with 364,876 copies. And that was overall DVDs. Some other ones in here. Have you ever heard of something called Kaijana? It's Kaijana. It's Kaijana 8. It hmm. was um, that was up there. It, was, it did... Um, Overall, DV- oh, this must be a band because they not only did they have music DVDs in there too. So oh. it's K A N J A N I. So it must be some, you know, some um, crazy pop band with people with badly bleached hair or something. Well, I'll tell you this much: Dark Knight will never be number one on the Japanese hit list. That movie didn't make Jack in Japan. <laughs> and for one, it didn't I, need to. It didn't, it didn't need, need to. to at all. And I'm, I'm glad to see that the. Japanese didn't drink the Kool-Aid on that movie. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Back Don't. You, uh, what? what? But let's go. Yeah, yeah. Let's go. It, <laughs> it's not the best of all time. We'll but, save that for another day. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. That will be the profanity-laden uh, outtake <laughs> of this episode. <laughs> Available soon. 
And a couple listeners submitted topics, just like there was very few um, regular news articles out there. I guess everybody's finding it a little bit hard to find some things out there, too. And, you know, I understand with the holidays coming in. But um, this is from one of our posters, Vent Noir. And recently, there's going to be a Eureka 7 movie, and the title and the release date have been announced. And the title is basically is going to be called, in English, basically, Symphonic Poem Eureka 7 Pocket Full of Rainbows. Sponsored by Skittles. <laughs> <laughs> and it's actually going to be showing up. It's going to be premiered in t- at Tokyo's Theater Shinjuku, Osaka's... Uh, theater Yamada and other locations during Golden Week. So, little uh, little thing, and anybody that's uh, fortunate enough to be in Japan at that time, go check it out. And um, you know, I, from what it says here, there's no plans of it coming off to the U.S. just as of yet, but it's just been released. And as we know, Bandai released both the anime, TV, and the manga spinoff. And for a while there, it was being played on Adult Swim. So. You know, if you haven't checked out the original show, check it out. It's a pretty good show. Soul Bro. I will, man. Well, as soon as it shows up in my Netflix queue. <laughs> <laughs> and here's an, uh, here's some other, a uh, couple of other little things that we have here. Uh, another one from Vent Noir and from one of our favorite uh, directors, Shoji Kalamori. I guess he has a new anime coming out called Basquatch. And it basically, right here, it's, it's, ba- it's Mecha Baseball, Basketball. And it, I guess it seemed Snap. very hip, hip hop. Like a basketball with with transforming cars. Yeah, what? It's man? Basically, the description here. Slam um, Anybody that wants to see any of the trailers or some of the information. Now, granted, it is going to be in Japanese, but you know you can always look at the pictures. Uh, it's uh, bossquash dot com, b a s q u a s h dot com. That's like slam dunk meets Transformers, man. That's awesome. Who knew they would work together? I'm on board. <laughs> sold me at transforming and uh that's basically it on the news front any other things out there guys before we jump into our first topic no i'm a blank slate soul bro let's do this i'm ready for subjects and this was a soul bro free news (laughs) he didn't destroy any news no spoilers um, here the spoiler free zone i'm sure he will in 2009 (laughs) can't wait that's my new resolution to ruin leo's news every segment hey it's all i got left man it's all i got left saboteur yes thank you but um like always i encourage anyone that has you know submitted all your listener submitted news articles to the neos news uh thread on the mechatalk.net forum at uh mhq and um we're going to just go into our first segment uh you're listening to gundam at mhq Yeah, because it, it, it was always that thing. I mean, when when I think of original Mobile Suit uh, Gundam, is you know, it was special because it was the only Gundam, and you know, and and, and like you said, ever each show afterwards had that where every every faction was starting to have their own Gundam, and it almost lost that 
the specialness that it had. Yeah. Um, you know, it was also you almost come to expect, well, wow, this guy's a, a great pilot. I'm sure he'll get upgraded to a Gundam later on. So <laughs> And there's no mid no mid season upgrade because yes. uh, even though Zeta was the first to have the mid series upgrade mobile suit, even with the original series, you could argue that it sort of did the same because in the middle of the show they introduced the disgusting uh, G Fighter. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's an upgrade for the Gundam. Well, well, what about the um, what about the nuke, man? That had that happened mid-season. <laughs> it was an upgrade, but one-time use of it. <laughs> I don't think that was an intended upgrade. No. <laughs> Damn! Next episode, you will see the tears of time. End of discussion. Debate is over. You will write a formal apology. I will what? A formal apology. You will kowtow. You will step and fetch. Frank, if you think you can get me, just do it. It's the way of the world. If you're so hot on discipline, then gun damn it, start by accepting mine. Because contrary to popular opinion, I'm the head in charge. Come on, let's get something to eat. You really think you're bad, don't you? Welcome back at Gundam at MAHQ. And in this segment, we return to our, one of our favorite shows, Mobile Suit Gundam Double Low, with reviews for the new season. We're, this, in this segment, we're going to be reviewing episodes one through three of um, season two of Gundam Double Low. And the first episode of which is um, episode one, The Angel's Second Advent. Um, it is the year 20, 2312 AD, five years after the, um, the last season. And due to the hostilities from the newly established Federation's pro-unification task force, ALAWS, members of the rebel group Cateron discussed the latest attack upon their asteroid base, Lazarus. Sheeran, a former aide to Princess Marina, speaks with fellow Cateron member Klaus Grad about ALAWS' unwarranted assault. Knowing that the proud space colony is next on ALAWS' radar, Klaus expresses to her that they can't delay on the rescue of the people there. Elsewhere, Sergei and Kat- Kati converse by phone about the, her decision to join ALOS. Sergei doesn't trust the organization, and, and Kati has decided to join them to collect info on the group and their questionable activities. Afterwards, Soma, who now lives with Sergei, talk about an important decision that she has long been, well, that, that has been long, long been considered. Saji Crossroad, now part of colony construction at LaGrange Point 4, Colony Proud, is wrapping up the workday with his co-workers when A-Laws raid the place and shoot his friend Eddie during his attempt to escape arrest. Trying to help Eddie, Saji is also apprehended as they're both labeled as spies for Cataron. They, along with others, are put to work at gunpoint at the high-gravity industrial sec- sector of the colony. Approaching the colony, the Ptolemaeus II clears Tiaria to launch in his new Cerevi gunner. Louise, now a member of ALAWS is preparing her launch upon the colony as an ahead squadron pilot. Setsuna, in, in solid snake fashion, breaks into the colony and makes his way to the high gravity sector, accosting ALAWS soldiers along the way for info on their operation. Outside the colony, Cataron rescue forces engage the Federation vessel as the rebels crash their Virginia class vessel into the colony. Cataron hacks the colony's computer systems during that time in order to find out where the prisoners are being held shortly before they are destroyed by ALOS. Louise, along with her squad, use their heads to drop automatons into the colony that are programmed to slaughter every person inside, a la Ed 209. 
<laughs> Saji and his friends get a break from their slave labor in order to hide for their very lives from the automatons. His friend is gunned down shortly before Saji himself is saved by a stranger, who he quickly recognizes as his old neighbor Setsuna. Saji and Setsuna make a mad dash for the Hangar Bay, and although Crossroad has a slew of questions for his long-lost friend, all of the danger posted by the ED-209s doesn't leave him much room to talk. Upon reaching the Hangar Bay, Saji is floored to see what Setsuna had been racing towards the entire time, a partially damaged and cloaked gun to Mexia. He's even more shocked to see Setsuna launching. <laughs> Luis has an episode while fighting against the opposition when she sees the Exia confront her squad. She pops some pills to calm herself down to alleviate her anguish. In an exciting battle with the now inferior and handicapped suit, Setsuna takes out some of the ahead pilots with the help of Tiaria Cerevi. Luis, still panicking, is ordered to retreat with the surviving pilots. Back at the Smirnoff house, Sergei and Soma receive a visitor in the way of Sergei's estranged son, Andre, who has orders to pick up Soma and is also a member of ALOS. Back on the Ptolemaeus, Saji confronts Setsuna and Tiaria about their involvement in Celestial Being. Saji then grabs Setsuna's gun and tells him to give Louise and Kinaway back to him. Tiaria chastises Crossroad for his naivete, while Setsuna has no excuse for him. Saji decides not to shoot him in fear of not wanting to become a killer like those who murdered his sister and hurt and, and hurt Louise. Ribbons and the innovators are shown towards the end of this episode with Wang Lumei now collaborating with them. Nina is also in her employ. Also shown is shown as Sumeragi, who is laying in the bed of her former schoolmate, Billy Katagiri. Elsewhere, Alleluia is held bound prisoner at an unknown location. At the end of the episode, we see Lao Delandi, a member of Kataran, who is propositioned by Setsuna to join Celestial Being in order to take the place of his brother Neil as the new lock on Stratos. Wow, wow. where do I begin? The, the question that I wanted to know for those whole couple of months is since season one ended was what happened to Saji? I know. Man. I mean, I was just it with permeated every breath. thought, right? Yes. <laughs> no, um, actually, of the king, man. Come uh, on. it was kind of nice to see it get off the road, uh, you know, get off the ground running. Um, once again, they do uh, are able to kind of give us uh, an up to date of what's going on with the with the world, with the A-laws, and even Celestial Being to an extent, um, you know, so you're not too lost and we're not too bogged down by a bunch of whole, uh, uh, whole bunch of explanations about things uh, that sometimes just are just too much there. Um, it's nice to see Exia back, um, oh, yeah. you know, even though it was pretty much missing, what, an arm, uh, most of its face. And he had like a tarp. It somehow managed to look cooler. They should have. They should have took that tarp and made it blue, like a FEMA tarp. <laughs> That'd have been kind of funny. <laughs> but um, you know, I, I we see that the A laws are um, in some vein like the Titans, that they're there to mop up the remnants of stuff. But we also see that they're a lot different from the Titans uh, in a lot a lot of other ways. So, um, you know. A very solid episode, a great episode to begin uh, a new season and to, you know, play off of the powerful episode 25 of season one. Mm -hmm. So, but uh, Chris? Well, you know, the, the question that was on my mind for the last six months would be is what kind of um, topics can you get on your space pizzas? <laughs> that too. That too. And um, we also found that, um, you know, Sumeragi likes, uh, what was that, like whiskey that she was drinking? Oh, man. She, wild turkey? She's, she's gone to the, yeah, she was drinking wild turkey, I think. You know, she's done her destiny as being a lush. On a serious note, um, <laughs> I think one of the, this episode creates uh, quite a contrast to the way the whole multi-season thing was handled in another recent show, that being Code Geass. I thought we weren't speaking of that. Just kidding. 
word, thought... but this is the only time I'm going to mention it. Yeah, okay. Oh, really? <laughs> because... No, we're sending the Code Geass name. Yeah, well, this will be the last time you hear it for a while. Yes. Code Geass, Code Geass, Code Geass, Code Geass. Code Geass. <laughs> Code Geass. Um, Suzaku did it. Sorry. I had to. You did. Uh, the thing about Code Geass was, you know, the first season ended on a big cliffhanger, and then the second season didn't follow that cliffhanger and kind of hit the reset button a bit. <laughs> Whereas Double O, its first season ended by showing you glimpses of what this new future would be like four years after the end of the first season, and then the first episode of season two just jumps right into that without missing a beat. So you really feel that this is, you know, episode 26 rather than, you know, season two. Yeah, episode one, season two, yeah. Yeah, and... You know, we've got the Alovs who are kind of like the Titans in that, you know, they suppress the people and, you know, they're censoring information and, you know, we we see where everyone is, but we pretty much already had an idea where most of the people were from the end of Season 1, minus the Gundam Meisters. You know, we see Setsuna has just been out on his own with the beaten up Exia and Alleluia has become Hannibal Lecter and... <laughs> Tieria was the only one that stuck with Celestial Being for all these years, and you know now they've got a new ship, they've got a new crew, they got you know all the swanky new stuff, and they're ready to, you know, get back to business. And of course, Ribbons is you know doing his Ribbons things. And Lockon's still dead. And Lockon's <laughs> still dead. Despite some people suggesting that maybe he'll come back brainwashed as a pilot for Alaws. Oh jeez. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost it's almost a straight talk express type of moment, but I just don't even. It's they, not even worth. Doesn't even warrant your attention. Not, <laughs> not even worth it. So it's good to see uh, you know a fast-paced episode with uh, Setsuna jumping into the middle of this uh, situation in this colony where Alaz is uh, having people perform useless manual labor as punishment. Yeah. Uh, as far as King Arthur, he's, he's, he's such a tool. You know, when you got when you got armed sort of fascist guys taking some dude, don't open your big fat mouth and butt in. Yeah. Because <laughs> then you get beaten up too and taken. Like That's exactly say, what happened. Like they say, punks jump up to get beat down. Yeah. Exactly. But Saj is not a punk. <laughs> he is. He is. He is. Oh man. He is. And. uh you know, of course, this leads him into contact with uh, Setsuna and finally broke, you know, the whole secret that Setsuna was hiding all along, that he was a Gundam Meister. But, uh, of course, Saji put down his, his, uh, gun his gun later on Yeah. when he discovered that uh, Setsuna was, you know, the Gundam Meister. It's kind of sad to see the Exia have a sad demise, but um, yeah. what do you expect when it was as beaten up as it was and hadn't been serviced in four years and had a crappy, like, eye and was missing an arm and the sword was all beaten up. So I kind of wonder if the Exia had been in uh, you know, full battle capacity as it was four years ago, how that battle with the Ahead would have turned out. Yeah, that is true. Because they, they make the point of saying that the Aheads are powerful, and as we'll see later on in the season, they are quite powerful and they can hold their own against the new Gundams. Yeah. I'm just curious how an old one would have performed against them. Yeah, because that's pretty much the only one that's still left. Because uh, the other ones... We really don't know what happened. I'm sure they just went to scrap or something. Retired. Um, yeah. I mean, they were all salvaged in some way, shape, or form. But maybe right. for the GN drives. But but who knows? But um, I I, li- I like this episode a lot for the um, 
for the fact that it leaves you with a lot of questions like the first episode of season one did not as many but people still seem to cry and whine about the fact that the show is not giving everything to them on a silver platter but i mean after a five-year gap of course you're not going to know everything that's been going on you get an idea of what's going on but in double o fashion you're going to learn more as the series goes along and so far from what we've already seen up to it it's 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 continuing to develop the the picture of what's going on as as things go but um i love the fast pace of this episode the fact that you know it doesn't waste a lot of time, which is good, which Double O has been becoming known for, where it just doesn't meander. And it's nice to see the show hasn't lost its patience, even after um, after the six-month break. I guess that would conclude our thoughts on season, or on episode one. Uh, I guess we'll go into episode two. Descent of the King. Yes, Descent of the King, <laughs> Realization of the King, uh, Christ is Risen. He uh, takes his throne. I got King his Burger King crown right here. <laughs> yeah. Which, Rich, my last little comment on, on episode one would be for a guy that couldn't stand up for anything in 25 episodes previously, right. the one time that he does is the one time he probably shouldn't have. But um, What does he know? <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm sorry. We'll, we'll, save, we'll save this for later. Four but. years. Fascist pigs. Guns. A-laws. Downtrotting. He yeah. knows something. A great point is raised up in a later episode, and I'll bring it up then. Okay. <laughs> All right, that brings us to episode two, Twin Drive. Uh, we start this episode actually uh, three months earlier than episode one, and we see that um, the Celestial Being is doing some tests on the Double O Gundam in their asteroid base, and uh, TRA is actually doing the, the performance test, and they're trying to activate the Twin Drive Drive system. And I guess it has to work at a point of uh, exceeding 80%. Of course, an error occurs and, and the sync rate plummets. And basically, I guess they were taking all the GN drives from the original, the, the three other original Gundams and trying to sync it up with the double O there. In the present, we see that uh, Lyle is with Setsuna and he's asking him, asking Setsuna who he is. And Setsuna mentions that um, he knew his brother Neil and he, he was a Gundam Meister. And, of course, Lyle asks if he's dead, and Satsuna says, yeah, he died five years ago in battle. Uh, before he leaves, Satsuna gives him a thumb drive. I, I, Chris said it was, um, which one was it? It was the Lancelot, right? The, yes. Yeah, it was the, thumb, it was the Lancelot thumb drive uh, that's available for purchase now. Um, and it's got some information on it. And, of course, Lyle's playing kind of coy, saying, eh, I can bring us over to the Federation. And then Satsuna gives him the uh, little nugget of they're gonna the Federation's gonna be doing an operation against Cateron in Europe. And then we see that Kati is reporting to the ALOS commander whose name is Homer Katagiri. Later on in the cafeteria, we see that Kati is uh, you know she's reunited with Soma, and she also meets Andre. And then uh, we get to see the appearance of Mister. Bushito, because he's uh, sitting in the corner. I guess he's getting all kind of uh, goofy because he's seeing that all these people are reporting, so he believes that um, the Gundams are returning. Uh, later on, we, we see that Ian is removing the GN drive from poor Exia, trying to test it in double O. And, uh, you know, Terry is thinking it's going to work, and Ian's pretty skeptical about it because, uh, you know, because of all the other failures. What, what is this girl's name? Melina, right? Melina, the little girl? She delivers some food to Saji, who's in a cell, and they give him a red haro. And said so they can browse the database, and you know, of course, Saji. You know, Saji grew balls in four years because now he's ordering around a poor little fourteen-year-old girl, saying, "How long am I going to keep me here?" And um, you know, then he's brought to reality by Lassie saying that he's been marked by the uh, A laws, and Mr. then he Speedo? needs to sit there. 
And uh, of course, Saji going, you know, asking if there's going to be any more armed interventions. And Lassie says they're just out to destroy the A-laws. And this is kind of reminiscent of what happened in Zeta Gundam. Lassie then explains that there's been about 14 massacres with tens of thousands of casualties, but it's all been hidden from the Republic or from the public. So kind of reminded me of that part in Zeta when uh, the 30 bunch incident, when they when they actually find out what's going on there. Back on Earth, we see Billy stopping Sumeragi from trying to pour another drink because she's just a complete lush now. And, um, you know, then they basically have a fight. She's ready to leave. And then there's a knock on the door. Guess who came over for dinner? Satsuna's at the door. Uh, Billy lets him in because he thinks it's a friend of, of, uh, of Sumeragi. And then, you know, she's called Sumeragi, her code name, by Satsuna. And then Satsuna... <laughs> just um, reveals that she's the Celestial Beings tactical analyst. Billy, all surprised, uh, is just standing there. And, of course, uh, uh, Sumeragi and Satsuna leave. Uh, back again, we're seeing that the, the test for the GN drive on the 00 is not going past uh, 70%. Uh, TRA suggesting that the trans ammo might be used, but Ian thinks it might be too dangerous because it might cause everything to blow up. Uh, later on, we see... Uh, Setsuna and Sumeragi in an audible elevator and you know they're having kind of a kind of a talk about why he's bringing her back and that you know they they really didn't accomplish anything and as they get into the orbital station she's surprised to see Locke on there and then she you know Setsuna introduces him as Lyle and says that his name is Locke on that he's actually the brother of of Neil. Fast forward a little bit we see Marina she's wondering if Setsuna is alive and she's in a hotel room. All of a sudden, some armed men come in and come to arrest her. Uh, at Wang Li's mansion, Hong Long asks Wang Li why she gave information to Celestial Being to the about Celestial Being to the A-Laws. And she says if the A-Laws can't handle that cr- kind of crisis, there's no point in what they're doing. At the same time, uh, Regine uh, gives the looks at the intel that was sent to Ribbons, and he's going to pass it on to Homer. Then we see in one of the spaceships, uh, Lieutenant Zingjan informs Arthur that they got the location of the Celestial Being spaceship. They decide for a surprise attack. Uh, all of a sudden, you know, they, they launch in their several GNX-3s. Uh, Setsuna's shuttle gets an encrypted message from the Ptolemaeo saying that the ALOF forces are approaching. TRA launches in the Sarah V Gundam. Uh, Sumeragi then gives uh, Setsuna some course corrections. Terry uses his bazooka to destroy some GNXs, GN3, GNX3s. Uh, we have a battle going on, and Setsuna tells the Telemaeus to launch the double O. He does kind of a mid-air docking thing in space, jumping out of the perfectly good shuttle to get to the double O. <laughs> uh, he gets into the double O. He uses the Trans-An system to uh, jump to activate the double O against the injection objections, and then we see that it just goes up to 73%. Uh, Zenin break. Uh, gets past TRA, opens fire on the double O, and then just at that time, it activates, blocks the shot with the GN field. All of a sudden, Ribbons, who's watching the battle, gets a little surprised and is wondering what's going on here. Uh, Lock-On is amazed by the power of the Gundam. ZN's uh, forces withdraw once the double O is going around. Uh, back on the Telemaeus, we see that Ian, Felt, Lassie, and Melina um, welcome Sumeragi back, and then they're shocked to see Lock-On. And they find out it's Neil's younger brother. And uh, we end with Billy cro- uh, tossing a drink. And we see Hannibal Lecter, uh, a.k.a. Alleluia, thinking about Soma. Or Murray, actually. So uh, thoughts on this episode, guys? 
well. I mean, it, it's it's for a follow up second episode. It keeps the pace up. You finally get to see Satsuna pilot the double O. I mean, he gets to trade out the Axia with that, and um, you know, he makes mincemeat of those suits that he finds <laughs> pretty quickly. Uh, other than that, I mean, um, referencing you know my man Saji, you know, he's 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 getting the he's getting the straight dope on um on the situation about the fact that that these events from A laws are being hidden from um hidden from the public eye. So he's like the rest of the ignorant masses. He doesn't know what's going on. All he knows is celestial being is, you know, been painted as the villain when they're really doing good work and, you know, the events that the events that happened to him didn't quite happen in the um in the way that he first perceived. So but um other than that it's a very, if anything, informative episode and we, we get to see we if any, we get to see uh the double O in action, which is what a lot of people were waiting for. So I, I dug it. I did not as much as the first episode, but I, I still think it was pretty action packed and well done. Oh, it definitely keeps up the pace of uh, the first episode. It's good to see. So it's going to jump into the uh, mid-series upgrade and, <laughs> and go totally nuts with it, even though Ian told them plenty of times, hey, don't use that crazy Trans Am. It might blow us all to hell. What's the yeah, very really. first thing that does? He turns on the freaking Trans Am while still inside the ship. Exactly. He never listens to people, man, just like when he drops that bomb in Sumeragi's lap. <laughs> He just doesn't care. He lacks subtlety, but that's awesome about him. Well, the sad thing is... I don't think like, he cares about subtlety. No, he doesn't yeah. give a damn. <laughs> and and I, feel, I almost feel bad for Ian, because it seems like no one listens to him. Because earlier, <laughs> even when... Uh, even when you know he's he's sitting there with uh, Tiaria and they're testing the drives, it's he's not even listening to him. Mm-hmm. Ian's got all these objections, but I don't know. I think there are you know great couple of scenes between uh, Setsuna and um, Sumeragi, you know, and you just see it's kind of sad to see how far she's fallen in the last four years. That yeah. she's just total total drunk, and she's so far worse than she was four years ago that. You know, you wonder how how it is that she's even barely functioning. And Billy's been supporting her during this time, and you know, got to give the man props for that. And then Satsuna just bursts, and he's like, "Hey, uh, yeah, come back to celestial being right now." Yeah, codename Sumeragi. Codename Sumeragi, and Billy's like, "What the what? Yeah, I thought her name was Kujo. <laughs> and then later, you got you know the scene when uh, Satsuna and and uh, Sumeragi are coming back up to space on the um, you know the the linear train and right. you know she's basically like why are you bringing me with you I'm useless don't depend on me and she's just taking it all on herself because you know she's just amplifying all of the stuff about her past which at this point still isn't explained all right but obviously will be in the future and uh, yeah pretty much um, that that sends Billy down the the path of the um, you know the um, jilted boyfriend the jilted boyfriend who responds by taking extreme action and for him that's uh joining up uh with alaws yeah yeah i i I thought it was uh, a pretty good episode i actually thought it was a a really good episode when it came to um was such a a kind of um you know exciting first ep return you know you've been anticipating for so long that it followed it up very nicely and once again we get advancement of the current story with um, some explanation of what's been going on these last couple of years uh, with with some other you know with some of the other things and um, you know getting the mid up mid season upgrades nice um, yeah seeing how everybody's changed a little uh, you know Sumeragi being the biggest one that's changed uh, you know with her just being so self destructive with her drinking problem and uh, you know kind of solidifying what I kind of thought from the beginning that um, even though 
we saw in season one that Alejandro was playing both sides of the equation with Celestial being and eventually betraying Celestial being. Uh, we see that um, Wang Lu Mei is kind of doing the same thing. And, um, you know, of course, there's other, you know, other secrets of Ribbons being uh, surprised of the activation of the double O. So uh, makes you kind of wonder where that information's being hidden and how does Celestial Being have it, and he really doesn't. So since he has, what, complete access to Veda. So, um, you know, I, I think it was an outstanding episode because a lot of times in, in shows like this, um, you know, what's the big flaw that we have? Sometimes there's a failure, uh, you know, to keep keep that excitement and keep the story going like we did when we were introduced. So any other observations or remarks, guys? Just that it's interesting to see um, everybody's freaked out reactions when they see uh, Lyle as, yeah. as lock-on. Oh, yeah. They're like, but wait, you, no, wait, you, no. <laughs> even, even fooled Haro. Yeah, poor Haro. Someone needs to get his cameras checked. Haro and uh, and then you know of course the the subplot of poor felt just you oh, know man. the world crashing around her thinking and then we find out later that uh, Neil and Lyle are they might look alike but they're uh, completely different. <laughs> <laughs> Brings us to episode three, uh, King's Quest begins. Oh, no. Alleluia rescue operation. So we have uh, Marina who's being held captive by the Federation and she's saying that, hey, I told you all this years ago about the Gundams and this guy's saying, well, you know, now I want to hear it again because now the Gundams are back. And we have uh, Federation President Obama <laughs> talking to Ribbons and he's commenting that, uh, you know, the creation of an army with 40 million soldiers was only possible with uh, Beta's powers. And uh, Ribbons is basically saying to himself afterwards that uh, humans can't carry out Aeolia's plan, but the innovators will. At this same detention center, Andre and Soma, they visit Alleluia, and she's wondering why it is her quantum brainwaves have no effect, and he's calling her Mari, but she's insisting that that isn't her name. And over in space, you got Terry kind of pissed off at hearing that uh, Lockhart doesn't have much putting experience, but there's more there than, than you know what's going on. And Felt is, is kind of watching them and... Uh, we got people asking about Sumeragi, and Ian basically says that uh, even though she's back with the ship, now it doesn't mean that she's come back to Celestial Being. Yeah. Uh, Setsuna gives a little visit to King Arthur and tells him that uh, the thrones were not really their allies, but Saji says it doesn't make any difference because they still killed people nonetheless. And uh, he's saying that, you know, the, the Gundams destroyed his peace, to which Setsuna counters, is it okay for you to be the only one in the world who's at peace? And Saji's like... Burn. Burn. Take that, King Arthur. Oh, man. And debate raises on. Soma talks to um, Sergei over the phone, and she asks him if there's any information from the super soldier facility about someone named Mari, but he tells her he only briefly got to see the data that was confiscated way back when that whole scandal happened years ago. And uh, Katie's airship arrives at the detention center, and she's thinking about how it is that A-Laws knew about Alleluia being held there when his capture wasn't even ever publicly announced. And Alleluia, he's thinking to himself that Soma is definitely Mari, and that she has to have multiple personalities like he did and felt gets a message from wang that uh alleluia is in the federation prison and they all gather together for a briefing and talking about how alleluia has been found and louise is talking to lee and asking why it is they're not searching for the gundams but he tells her there's no point because the 
trap has been set for Celestial being on Earth. Sumeragi is asked to give her plan for how she would rescue Alleluia, and she thinks that she's just going to put everyone in danger, but then she does give them a plan, because everyone says that they'll, you know, they want to get Alleluia back no matter how dangerous it is. And as they're leaving, Felt spots Marina's name on the list of prisoners, which is, of course, grabbing her attention. And uh, Sumeragi, she's looking over everything, and she's kind of surprised that Lock-On's abilities rate so high in the mobile suit simulator, which, you know, obviously is letting on that he's more skilled than he says he is. Yeah, red flags. Exactly. And Ian tells Setsuna not to be crazy again. Don't use that Trans Am. <laughs> <laughs> Don't use that Trans Am. Sure, Pops. I won't. <laughs> sure, Pops. <laughs> so uh, with the plan that Sumeragi's given, they move into motion, and the Ptolemaeus activates its GN field and starts atmospheric reentry. So the ship opens fire and, in a rapid descent, dives right into the ocean next to the prison. And the giant tidal wave created by the ship diving uh, sort of floods over the prison's walls and knocks over all of the Tierrans and the tanks that are there guarding the prison. So they've only got about five minutes to complete their mission, and Setsuna thinks that they can do it in three. But Tieria tells him, well, you could use those extra two minutes to go rescue somebody else. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Who? <laughs> <laughs> uh... Sergey? Yeah. yeah. So you know they boys, right? <laughs> so Lock-On jumps into action with his uh, Karadim Gundam and manages to hit some targets and cause some distraction. Uh, Soma and Andre, they come under attack from Cataron uh, ground forces, which have launched a simultaneous attack to rescue their comrades. And gee, who told them about that? Hmm, I wonder. Felt? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Setsuna, he rescues Alleluia and gives him a uh, PDA telling him where he can rendezvous with his new Arios Gundam. Who uses a PDA now, right? Just kidding. <laughs> so the Arios Gundam gets sent out on um, autopilot over to Alleluia. And just as he gets to where the Gundam is, Soma appears and she pulls a gun on him. And at the same time, Setsuna rescues Marina and tells her to come with him while Thierry is trying to hold off the uh, GNX-3s that are attacking. Alleluia tells Soma that her real name is Mari Parfasi, but she denies that and says that she's Soma. She then hears a voice in her head and has sort of a weird vision, which uh, gives Alleluia the chance to try to run over her to her. But Andre shows up and a whole couple of other guys start opening fire. So Alleluia is hiding and then he eventually makes a run for it, jumps into the cockpit and he escapes and joins the battle. And uh, Lockon's happy that uh, the Cataron prisoners were freed. Later on, you've got uh, Klaus telling Sharon that uh, Marina was one of the prisoners, but they weren't able to rescue her. However, someone from Celestial Being did. Later on, um, Sierra is surprised again when he sees Lockon. And uh, Setsuna, he apologizes to Marina for getting her into trouble. And she asks him why it is that he's fighting again. And he tells her that fighting is the only way that he can live and have his wish granted. And she starts crying. And when he asks her why she's crying, she says that she's crying because he won't. Oh, man. Thus endeth the first episode of the Holy Journey of the King. What sayeth thee, knaves? <laughs> well, um, you know, once again, um, you know, keeping us going with... Um, you know, developing, getting, getting the whole reunion of all the Meisters. Um, you know, it took them really no time to kind of get everybody, once everybody got back on the Teomeos to get in their place, Sumeragi, and even though she's still kind of not officially the uh, the tactical analyst, she is definitely helping to all of her abilities. 
at this point. Um, you know, rescuing Alleluia is a very important thing, which it always kind of begged me the question of why they kept him alive, but there must be some ulterior motive. Um, you know, and then, you know, of course we find out that Kati hears that, um, you know, this pilot's there, but it was never released because you, you thought, man, of all the things after the war to say that you actually have a celestial being pilot, but I guess in some ways that would probably, um, you know, cause a lot more problems for uh, A-Laws, you know, for that explanation of what they're going to do with him and why they're keeping him alive. But, um, you know, we get to see part of what the whole thing that happened at the end of season one between um, Soma and Alleluia. And we get to see that there is some type of connection there. And, um, you know, later on episodes, we get to see what that connection is, you know, and it's nice to see pretty much all the Gundams made their debut in this episode. Oh, yeah. Um, Lock on's a lot more skilled than what he thought everybody thought he was. And, you know, it was nice to see that Marina actually got saved <laughs> because, um, <laughs> you know, she's she's a pretty likable character. And I think she's she's a pretty important character within this show. So. It was nice to see that, you know, no real harm happened to her and, you know, the whole political thing with Cateron actually trying to um, use the information that uh, Lyle's giving to them and, you know, trying to ride on the coattails of Celestial Being. So, I mean, I guess they kind of have to because they are kind of outmanned and outgunned. So, you know, you might as well use your best asset. But uh, very good episode. Very, you know, once again, just, just keep just keeping the things going, finding out what happened in the time skip and while still advancing the story. A lot of shows could probably learn how to do this so i like this episode um i dug it for the fact that you can see the framework of everything coming together in this um all these people are starting to show up on the ptolemaeus finally you know um marina uh saji um you know all these people not to throw saji's name in there again but you know it's it's just interesting you know let let me let me spam him all day (laughs) that didn't sound right um <laughs> but um no i mean i love the fact that they got the ball rolling on 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 hallelujah's rescue so quickly they just they didn't hesitate waste time anything and the show just throws you right back into the um the tension between him and um soma and brings up more of her past i, I thought that was uh, just to see that there that that storyline is continuing and it didn't come to a dead stop was cool um and at the same time, of course, Marina's there, so just conveniently. But I mean, that's cool because it just it it accentuates the fast pace of the story, gets her involved as well. And on top of that, I love these little hints they're throwing us about the new lock-on and the fact that he is more than meets the eye. <laughs> oh, but um, you know, he he's playing off like he's like these this novice, and you know he's this isn't a new character type for you, the transformer character type. Oh man, hey, man. The, we have the uh, you know the my mans, and now um, the uh, he's the Rodimus Prime. The, of the show. Yeah. <laughs> but no, um, I, I love these the, these cryptic messages are these these little hints about the fact that he's going to turn out to be much more than what we thought he is by the time um his big reveal comes around. Maybe maybe I'm maybe I'm a little maybe I'm BSing a bit, but who knows? <laughs> Wouldn't be a first time. It, it would. It definitely won't be the last. I I, I dug this episode and. Uh, they even get better as as the episodes progress. One thing that's uh, interesting about this episode and sort of jumping up from the last one is that even as a horrible drunk, Sumeragi can on the fly, out of nowhere, still come up with like all of these awesome tactical plans. Yeah, she's function alcoholic. <laughs> no, I which mean... just kind of goes to show that you know she's just putting all of this blame on herself, but she can still do her thing yep. if she wasn't blaming herself so much for everything. Heck, she can create an OS while drunk. That's amazing. <laughs> that, that, that's that's for Kira to do. Ooh. 
<laughs> it's also interesting uh, in this episode, especially to see the um, evolution of Tiaria. Yeah. Because that whole thing of when he tells Satsuna, like, hey, uh, you know, you could use those two minutes to rescue somebody else, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, would have never, ever, ever come out of his mouth in season one. It no, wouldn't have. Not at all. It's, it's interesting. In season one, he was like robot asshole mode, screw everybody, the plan is the plan, doesn't matter how many people die, we got to do what we got to do. You know, if you don't follow the plan, I'll freaking kill you. Stick yeah. by the book. Yeah. But I guess uh, four years being away from Veda has allowed him to actually, you know, live and you know the interactions he had with people like lock on sort of helped him to understand what it is like to be a human and he's developed along those lines because he's so completely different now than you know when we last saw him you know four years ago yeah he's actually been my favorite character of season two um i think and as we go into the other episodes when we start to review them uh you know we can go more into it but yeah he 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 was, you know, he was just Mr. Robot at season one. And, and we saw this kind of turn happening towards the end of season one. But in this one, I mean, he's he's kind of stepped up for the leadership role right now of yeah. the Meisters. Um, you know, Lock-On was pretty much kind of like the de facto leader of the Meisters when he was alive, the first Lock-On. Um, and, then, you know, that there, we definitely see there had to be a void with that. And, you know, in some ways it seems like maybe he was he's the only one that's really kept this component of Celestial Being together and on the path of what needs to be done and uh, it, it is nice i mean it, it is nice to see that and um you know he as as we'll see in later on in some future episodes that uh you know he gets even better but True. he's been my favorite my favorite uh character so far of season one he's gone from cold-blooded to hot-blooded and no success, I, I wouldn't say no he's not hot-blooded well there's, there's sometimes where he, he does get a little heated about things but i mean yeah but when you say hot-blooded you gotta i think i think people you think like common and stuff like that <laughs> he's not hot-blooded he's just become more human do you think he's you think part of um he inherited part of um, the original lock-on after his death, you know, kind well, of. Well, just like Kamina did in, in Gurren Lagann, where he made an impression on everybody's life, lock-on did the same thing. And For when him. people are taken from you, you don't have that person around anymore, and it leaves an impression, and you're changed by meeting that person. So, yeah, he, he was changed by lock-on, and yeah. he was changed by the whole situation because he saw he felt betrayed by Veda. He felt betrayed by, you know, what what is the true aspect of celestial being we see that other people are trying to do it he's pulled their way and their form and you know i mean he has i mean four years gives you a lot of time to think about things like so he's pulled out of the womb man. he's seen the world for what it is man that's cool yeah there's no more comments i think it's time to move on to uh, something that i posted (laughs) back on the mecha talk forums the meisterification of king arthur oh yes was a ridiculous joke topic for people to come up with uh, celestial being type code names for King Arthur, mm-hmm. I'm just gonna read some of these. Uh, as an example, the one I came up with was Pizza Wussicus. <laughs> A very good opening salvo. Yeah, uh, from Areku Volition Pegasus. <laughs> from Kavik Ricks, my personal favorite Link Kukaracha. Oh. Yeah, that was a good one too. Uh, TV submitted assets extra. Dang. <laughs> Some guy submitted pizza delivery. One of my true favorites there. <laughs> it was pretty funny. Ace whatever gave us wussy McNever laid Louisicus. Oh. <laughs> Moving on because we got three pages of this stuff. Well, one of my ones on page two, and I'll just go from there. Is uh, from Soon Guy. Is uh, he had he had another one 
You gotta yeah. be joking. You gotta be joking. Yes, that's <laughs> another good one. Batosai twenty-eight, Holy Virgin. Yes. Oh Jesus. <laughs> From Hot Limit, Haji Milk Toast. Oh, dang. Also adds Saji Crossroads sounds like a fake name to begin with. <laughs> oh. Uh, two Buster submitted. Hero protagonist. Yeah, oh. I like that one too. <laughs> That's funny. Arbiter gave us a uh, rather interesting one and said he's going to go insane and rename, rename himself like this: Kinoe Halavi. <laughs> <laughs> Thunder gave us Jaywalk Hate Face. <laughs> yeah, the loser villain has a funny one too. <laughs> yeah, stuffed crust. Yes. <laughs> Amuro NT1 dug into a character who was proposed for Double Zeta but never existed named Elbow Smash. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, TV gave us a second one, Quattro Stagioni. <laughs> oh, nice. I think that, uh, yeah, that was the end. Yeah, it was it. The rest well, of back and forth about Saji and how much he sucks. Yes. Only to y'all. Only to y'all. And the, rest the millions. Of the and millions. And to the millions of devoted listeners of Gundam at MHQ. Yes. The millions and the millions. Millions of. <laughs> That's all right. We 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 on uh, Saji Crossroads supporters are a tight bunch. We we, we we in the Crossroad crew. We tight because it's such a small group. Amen. Yeah, exactly. A small, petty, insignificant, useless group. We're wow. a niche market, man. Maintain. Wow. A small group. <laughs> All men with small ideas. Well, you know what? We're originators. We're loners. They're rolling bunches. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, keep uh, telling yourself that. Creative names, gentlemen, and and and, and any ladies that participated. That's um that was that, that was hilarious. Saji <laughs> appreciates it. He'll pick we one one day for their participation. Definitely. And that pretty much wraps things up. So uh, we'll be back. You're listening to Gundam at MHQ. Open. Gundam it! Open! Prime, you said the Matrix would light our darkest hour. Magnus! I want the Matrix! Never! Need a cake, but you don't want something boring from the local supermarket or bakery? In the South Florida area, try EpicSugarWorks.com. This bakery specializes in creating cakes based off of your favorite anime series, video game character, or whatever custom design you're looking for. Their online store also features anime and video game themed chocolate lollipops, as well as gift certificates if you want to give something to somebody. So if you're looking for a cake that's above the norm, go to EpicSugarWorks.com. It's epically delicious. I'm in the Gundam PTA! And welcome back, everybody, to the 13th installment, Lucky 13, of the Gundam Roundup. Um, we're going to be going into um, another movie. Actually, it's a movie plus a OVA, and that is of Gundam Wing, and it's Endless Walls. 
And just like back in a few episodes ago when we talked about um, Endless or Gundam Wing the show, we didn't really go too much into the plot points. We're pretty much not going to do it in this one either because um, probably outside of Gundam Wing, this is the second most popular one to most people out there. So, And joining us again, just like he did in the Gundam Wing uh, roundup, is we have a special guest. You probably you guys remember him as Armor NT. He's the resident wing and, and Gius uh, uh, Oracle. So um, I'm going to kind of pass it off to you, Armro, and you know some of your uh, thoughts about Endless Walls. Well, let's see. Where do we start on Endless Walls? I mean, we already know the plot. It's it's pretty much just a follow-up. It's interesting to note that basically at the height of Gundam Wing's popularity, they ended it completely and definitively. I imagine the ending probably still causes some waves with people because, you know, it's very idealistic. And some people have basically gone on to say, there's no way that's how it ends because you can't just say there's never going to be another war. But, I don't know. As for the overall plot, it's all right. I think... Hmm, how do I put this? I haven't really... I, I don't know. I honestly just sort of watch it as a movie. You know, I don't really give it a lot of thoughts. But well, part- oh, I was going to say, it, it is a movie and it's also an OVA and I, I yeah. know that there are some differences um, with uh, the, the two different showings. If you know, Maybe you could share some of those with us. Well... The only real differences between the the OVA and the movie are they shift some scenes around, and there are a couple of extended scenes, such as Sally rescuing the hostages on the colony and Dorothy popping up in Brussels to basically give the the civilians a kick in the pants so they'll actually listen to Relina. And actually, that cameo sort of, like I said back in the Wing segment, I actually am quite a fan of Dorothy. I think she's a really underrated character, and I really like that scene because I think it shows how far she's come since the show. Which Overall, is a big difference. In the original version, of, in the OAV of Endless Wall, she doesn't show up at all. No, and of course, in the manga, she just sort of watches everything from her, from her penthouse with amusement. <laughs> but Gundam Wing and this waltz, it, it, I'm not sure how to quite classify it. I mean, I don't know if it was meant to be, we like these characters, let's do a sequel, or if it's, we have some loose ends, let's tie them up. But pretty much we get just a bit more insight into the characters. We actually get to go a little into the past. This is something which famously they had to cut from the tv series because of scheduling conflicts which ended up resulting in the manga episode zero we do get some brief little snippets from the guy's past just showing what they were like when they were younger very briefly and it sort of helps explain some critical elements but it also sort of goes back and retcons operation meteor in the first place because at the end of the series when when cans confronts the engineers on the on the exploding libra he makes a comment to the effect of if it hadn't been for you fools everything Operation Meteor would have been a success. And then yeah. Endless Waltz goes and reveals that Operation Meteor was the brainchild of Hero Yui's assistants, Hans and Dagan Barton, who were basically arrogant, selfish, revenge-minded jerks who didn't care about peace in the colonies. And the whole plan was, let's screw up the Earth with a colony drop and with super strong mobile suits and then take over as revenge for them killing our leader. And of course, the guys didn't know that. All they knew was, go down there and kill anything that moves. But of course as the movie illustrates in each character's flashback, they all had pangs of conscience and decided to rebel against the mission, resulting in Operation Meteor as we see in the show. And of course, yet again, Relina is kidnapped, but <laughs> she, gets, she gets some important development here, something that seems to address a lot of the criticisms people had with her for the show, where she seemed to think that, you know, everyone could just sit down and talk and everything would be happy and all. And in the small, she realizes that ain't gonna happen unless you put some more some damn effort. We get this really critical moment where she says that, you know, you don't need ideals or wishes, but what you need is people who actually understand what needs to be done and are willing to do it. And, of course, some people take the fact that she gives Maramea a slap, credit moment of awesome, to be 
a sign that she's not quite a pacifist anymore. I don't know, but possibly. Maybe she just recognized that the kid needed a bright slap right then, and Bright wasn't going <laughs> to come leaping through universes to do it, so she had to substitute. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. She had to step in for um, Lady Yun. No one's going to slap her anyway. Hey, one does good slaps, too. Oh, yeah. Just, uh, see what else real quick um, mechanical designs of course Katoki does everything and he does his usual quality with that work I'm I love the other Swalt's versions of the Gundam just deal with it what else uh, the music hey, I, is one, I agree so the yeah. music is one especially Swalt's Sandrock work. I think Sandrock's probably the one that really got updated the best yeah um, music is once more handled by the very talented Kotani and he produces mm-hmm. some really nice stuff that weaves in Christmas themes which are quite yeah. appropriate for the setting. This 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 uh, movie and OVA series had a different director though, didn't it? Um, I believe actually yes. The the urban legend I don't know if it's ever been confirmed is that halfway about part way halfway or three quarters of the way through Gundam Wing, director Masashi Ikeda quit, and it was handed over to Shinji Takamatsu, who would go on to direct Gundam X. I've never actually heard any confirmation for that other than just vague little hints and snippets. But Endless Waltz was directed by Yasuan Aoki, who has done... Let me see, what else is he? Inuyasha. He did some Inuyasha. Ironically God, everybody's enough, done that. <laughs> ironically enough, he did the stint of episodes right after Ikeda left the show. What else has he done? Just randomly, um, the Urusei Yatsura movie, Beautiful Dreamer. He was the director of Yakutate Japan. There's an odd one for you. Woo! That is odd. Classic. But countering all the legends that he quit the show as well, the head writer of the anime, Katsuyuki Sumizawa, came back to write the... came back to write it Waltz as well, and okay. just other stuff. Something that's probably should have pointed out in the, in Gundam Wing, but both series Wing and Endless Waltz actually have the the inimitable Yutaka Izabuchi as costume design. Izabuchi, everyone probably knows, did his known for doing mechanical designs such as the Gundam Alex and I believe the new gun. But yeah. he does costumes, and he did the costumes for Wing. Although he's also a uh, producer with uh, yeah. Pat Labor, and uh, he directed Razafan. A man of many talents. Oh, Razafan. Hear that, Neo? Yes, I have him to blame. Hey, let, let, let's save that for later, y'all. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, oh, yeah. and, of course, Endless Waltz introduces possibly, you know, one of the few just outright rotten characters to the Wing universe. At least in my opinion. That would be, of course, Jake and Bart. I mean, yeah. my opinion of the show, basically everyone with the possible exception of Cans can be writ- can have some sort of kind or noble motivation. Even people like Vermeil deep down. But Dagim is just an unrepentant asshole, and he gets what he deserves in the end. Yeah, he does. And I think I've rambled long enough. I'm going to pass it off. Sober? Well, then, damn. Uh, <laughs> I agree with pretty much most of what you said. Um, I wasn't... I, I did like the design of the new suits. I didn't like the fact that they retconned the old suits, though. Um, I thought that... I, I guess they would have to come up with a story why they look different when they weren't being used. But um, Just felt like it. It's like, well, what happened to the old suits and what happened to the Transforming Zero? And, you know, I, I'm just... I'm, I'm being a bitch, of course. No, but, it's okay. Hey, it's, it's, better than, it's better than what they did, okay? Ground you know, Zero, he just felt mm-hmm. like it. Yeah, true. I will, I will like... the my, my favorite part of this whole um, movie was getting into the backstories of the characters. I think that was um, my favorite part of the whole st- the whole um, the whole experience, and they manned up Quatcher quite a bit. Although you know he did man up towards the end of the TV show. I mean, if you didn't like Quatcher in the TV show, you had to like him in um, Endless Waltz because he really went the extra mile just to be cool. My impressions of Mari Maya, um, she's like a combination of Minerva, um, Lao Zabi, and Haman. <laughs> I was like, they both had a kid, um, but of course she was being manipulated more Holy so like Maneva than. Um, 
than anything. But I, I just didn't, I didn't like her being used as a villain, although she really wasn't. But um, yeah, Dakin Barton, he got what it was coming to him, and that jerk. But uh, other than that, I, I, I liked Endless Waltz. It's well, I'll let Neil get into it, but um, it was good. I, it was, it was, a, it was a good OVA and a good movie. And what were your thoughts, Neil? Well, I'll pass this off to Chris. I'm wondering oh. if the uh, the straight straight talk express has straight to come talk. back out of retirement here. No, it's uh, it's 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 parked away because now the the election's over, so uh, no need for the straight talk express to come out. Uh, <clears throat> personally, I enjoyed uh, Endless Waltz a lot more than the uh, the TV show. Number one, you have the benefit of the characters obviously being more fully formed as a result of what they went through in the TV show. Uh, but one of the things. I find is that the plot is more focused because you have, you know, just this one group of baddies, the the Marimea army and, you know, their little Hitler youth type guys. And it's it's a lot more focused in the TV show and it drops some of the pretentiousness that was in the TV show, you know, with all of the the ramblings uh, and the philosophizing about pacifism, this pacifism, that, yada, yada, yada. It's just right to the point, you know, these guys are out to do bad things. We have to stop them. So it's, it's more streamlined in its execution. Uh, obviously, you know, the animation is much nicer since it's an OAV. The mecha designs are a lot nicer as well since they're by Katoki. Um, you know, Mari Maya doesn't really do much for me. She's basically just pretty much just a copy of, of Mineva Zabi. You know, just the, the, the young puppet connected to a political leader who's now being used by some other person for their own benefit. Obviously, though, uh, Haman didn't treat me. Mineva the same way that uh, Dekim treated Mary Maya since, you know, he accidentally shot her. He's like, ah, whatever, we'll make another one. Yeah. Oh, actually, you brought up something right there real quick. There are subtle implications in the, sh- in the movie and in the OVA that Marmea is not actually Trace's daughter. She's just some kid Dekim picked up off the streets and groomed and lied to. They never really say one way or the other. I think either the novel or the manga, maybe both, has him outright saying, I picked her up off the street, but the anime leaves it vague. And that's yeah. actually a source of a bit of a debate over, among the fans is, is she really Trace's daughter, or is it just a lie? But that comes down to the whole thing of sometimes it's just less is more on that. Like, the, would it really make any difference if we knew? <laughs> I mean, the the fact that the, this guy, Dakin, was the guy that was really pulling the, you know, pulling the strings of the whole situation that they had, so... Yeah, the origin of the puppet isn't really important because it's still a yeah regardless so um you know i i enjoy the series i like the movie more since uh it jumbles around some of the flashbacks to have them fit in more appropriate spots and there's you know the new scenes like uh the scene with dorothy that is not in the oav and uh the final battle was made a bit longer in the uh endless waltz version plus there's some more stuff to you know the individual characters of the endings quick flashes of what they're doing uh one thing that i kind of don't like is Sort of like that little postscript by the narrator at the end is like, by the way, uh, there was never any more conflicts and guns were never seen again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of weird. Like, yeah. seriously? So so everybody just gave up the, the will to fight and there was never any more human conflicts ever and no mobile suits were ever seen again? Well, heck, well, that, they went and contradicted themselves on that one, didn't they? Exactly. You got, you got that little snippet in at the end of episode zero where you got the terrorist and then you have the dummy wing zero because I think they realized that just saying everything goes happy forever is a bit absurd. Exactly. <laughs> and then, you know, I kind of wondered, you know, the whole point, this is something that struck me. It's a, it's a little bit of a nitpick, but it just struck me as kind of dumb. I kind of figured the whole point of sending the Gundams into the sun in the first place was so they couldn't be rebuilt because we saw in the TV show yeah. quite a few of the Gundams literally blowing up but then still getting rebuilt after that. 
And you'd think that's the whole reason. You send them into the sun, nobody's going to get them because they're totally disintegrated. Yet, at the end of uh, the OAV and in the movie... They blow them up. They just blow them up on Earth. Yeah. What would stop somebody from just, you know, grabbing those parts and rebuilding them again? It just seems a little stupid. Well, well, that... that, that- you know, I honestly never thought of that. That that, that brings me to kind of a, another nitpick that I have, and uh, it's at the beginning that the fact that the best idea that they had to just keep the Gundams from being used was to throwing them into the sun, but it seemed like everybody else still had mobile suits, but yet they they kind of took the most powerful weapons to kind of that would be able to counteract any type of insurgency, and they're just going to f- fly them into the sun instead of like maybe putting them under lockdown and. This is probably going to make Chris shudder by referencing this, but maybe even doing what they did in Destiny with the freedom, where you lock it in a thing and you like maybe give the keys to somebody else. <laughs> so you know if you need it, it has to kind of be passed through a check. I mean that right. didn't. They could have handed them to Venture for one thing. And, That's and, true. and the thing about it was. It was, they were just showing. They were just sending the Gundams to the sun. You didn't really get the idea that there were other weapons aboard that transport. You know, it wasn't like, well, all the all the nations agreed that we need to get rid of our weapons. Let's just throw them all in the sun along with the Gundams. So yeah, it's kind of silly because as we see from the beginning of Endless Waltz, the peace that existed at the beginning of the series was a false peace because you had oh, yeah. all these people planning this uh, rebellion. So how do we know? Because the the end of Endless Waltz kind of brings everything back to the same point it was at the end of the TV show. Yeah. So how do you know that it's any more of a lasting peace than at the end of the TV show? Like, and, is there the going to th- be any malcontents ever? And, like, are they just going to go and erase, like, the blueprints for mobile suits from every <laughs> computer across the world? And what about all of the know-how that's in the mind of people to, like, make mobile suits? That's all just going to yeah. vanish? Well, the, the thing is, is it, what is even the, uh, the advantage of creating the preventers? I mean, the, the preventers, I guess, in, in actuality are to prevent incursions to happen from happening again why not have them like armor said even just give them the ability to you know get into the you know to lock away the um the gundams or that was one of the the big glaring things that i had with it but i mean i'm along with you guys i think it was a a very enjoyable show um you know i do agree with chris that it it was a little it seemed to flow a lot better because you did just have the one baddie that you were focused on um the only the only other thing i i think is kind of the way that i feel about it is it it is a hour and a half long glumpaw commercial (laughs) and you know which i guess in the year that or the time it was released the sales must have been down for that quarter so um you know but you have to keep in mind uh endless waltz showed up right after the cancellation of x so yeah you're probably looking for some you know model kits that could be familiar in the sense that you know when was popular yeah. but then new in the sense that they were new designs so you know that i did will be a possibility i did like the fact that they went back even so brief to the last battle of the first show and show that okay these were the gundams that they were using even though it's kind of um you know it, it's it's a little silly but it, it kind of kind of got your mind at the right at the right starting point you know you weren't if they didn't do that, I think you'd be sitting there for like the first 15 minutes going, huh, why the heck does uh, Wing Zero have wings? <laughs> and uh, so, I mean, I, I think I think in a way of direction and, and, and telling a story, that was a nice little thing. It was it was ever so brief, but it, it kind of got that thing past you saying, oh, okay, they had those Gundams at the end, so... Another another thing referencing the last battle. Um, how come um how come both series suffer from early diehard syndrome, where the, where the penultimate you know events happen on Christmas Eve? <laughs> 
or Christmas. Yeah, well, it's, I mean. it's, 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 it was just a little bit coincidental for me that exactly a year later that um, Endless Waltz would also be, you know, the conflict would also be on Christmas. Maybe to commemorate the um, the attempt by White Fang a year before, but, you know, and of course, you know, original Mobile Suit Gundam ends, you know, the last battle is on Christmas, if I recall. I could uh, be wrong. Steve. Uh, oh, New Year's Eve. Thank it, you. It, it actually idiot. stretches from New Year's Eve. It starts like on the 23rd and stretches to the 25th, if I remember correctly. Well, tis the season. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that's... The full-scale warfare. That, la, 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 la. Yeah, that wasn't too, too bad, but I do enjoy the movie version uh, a lot better than the OVA, which doesn't mean I don't like the OVA, but the way that they play some of the flashbacks and, and the fact that you just get kind of a continuous run, you know, for something like that, because uh, the one thing I found with the OVA um, episodes is as soon as you're kind of getting into it, here come the credits. So, and, you know, it wasn't even the fact of like the building up to the, the cliffhanger like you have in a lot of shows. It was just like, oh, here's Hero. He's about to get the wings zero. Oh commercial and then they even show and and even in that they just show him you know during the credits getting the wing zero and it's like you know for such kind of a you know important part um you know relegating it to the credits is kind of silly but any other thoughts guys uh, on endless walls no hmm. armor not okay wait there's one thing we have to mention okay mention this during uh the the, the wing discussion of the episodes back and that oh, is right. Sobro's man because he needs to have a designated wuss for the Gundam Wing franchise and we had decided that it was that wuss from Relina's school who gets all pissy with Hero and loses the fencing match and as Amro mm. has revealed his name is if you go by the novelization of the series his name is Kai as in Sheedan that's terrible oh, that's well, that's terrible he he joins the ranks of Saji and Sile Argyle. And update, update. I'm getting I'm, this. This revolves. just in. This just in. Kai becomes a porn star after. <laughs> and yeah, so. he wishes. after Wing completes. There you go. There you go. Happy ending for everybody. Yeah, they, got, they uh, didn't didn't Hero also uh, cut into their dance together. <laughs> he, he wishes he could dance with her. He didn't. He didn't get near her after that episode. Oh, yeah. did, oh, she asked and. Or he asked, and she kind of blew him off, didn't she? She pooped all over him. Uh, I don't think yeah. he even asked. It's, I, I thought he, I, I thought he asked. It's been a little while since I saw the show, yeah. or a couple of years. But right. as I recall, he basically doesn't do anything after episode two, where he comes to the party and was like, "Hey, I saw a guy who looked like Hero on an ambulance," but I thought it was, yeah, it was nothing. And then you yeah. know, she's running off to find him. Well, one of these days when Gundam gets big enough that we can construct our own little like headquarters, there'll be a hall of uh, Soul Bros men. Well, I'm and, sorry, and, he didn't. And, and little bronze bust of all the I'm sorry, of all the losers. I'm sorry, he didn't George McFly up. Yeah, but um, <laughs> well, guys, I mean, if if that's it, there, um, you know, um, that that'll bring us to the conclusion here of our coverage of uh, Gun uh, Gundam Wing Endless Waltz, both the movie and OVA versions. Uh, that concludes this. 13th installment of Gundam Roundup and in the next episode we'll actually be going uh, venturing in probably one of the maybe one of the strangest but one also one of the most um, you know head scratching ones out there and that's uh, turn A and head scratching I mean in a good way so um, but um, for myself uh, Neo uh, Solbro and uh, Chris I'd just like to thank uh, Armro for joining us again I, we know he's busy and glad that you were able to join us on uh, Endless Walls here so <laughs> thank you always it's always a pleasure but uh, we'll be back in a little bit you're listening to Gundam at MHQ. suddenly there was a terrible roar all around us and the sky was full of what looked like huge bats all swooping and screeching and diving around the car and a voice was screaming holy, holy Jesus, Jesus what are these Gundam animals? 
striking out on finding your favorite manga, anime, or series merchandise nearby or online? Lost when it comes to finding pop music from Japan, Hong Kong, and other Asian markets? Well then, Florida Oriental Trading is here to help. If you live in the Central Florida area, head on over to the intersection of Colonial Drive and Mills Avenue near downtown Orlando. You'll find FOT right next to the CVS Pharmacy. For those who live abroad, find out more about our favorite store online at FloridaOrientalTrading.com or call them directly at area code 407-895-0650. FOT carries a large selection of merchandise such as art books, t-shirts, posters, wall scrolls, soundtracks, PVC figurines, models, and much, much more. Also, it's a great place to find imports of your favorite musical artists and the latest films from Japan, Hong Kong, and other Asian countries. Last but not least, Florida Oriental Trading is not only home to the best selection of anime on DVD in Central Florida, but there you'll find a wide variety of manga too. On top of that, all of their manga is always priced at 20 less than retail daily 20% that's right Frank 20% Florida Oriental Trading is open every day except Wednesdays from 10 a.m. to 7:30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time you even find them open most holidays so if you're local stop on by and visit Quan and Debbie or give them a call at area code 407-895-0650 and give them the business tell them Gundam at MAHQ sent you Jules, you give that fucking Nimrod $1,500 and I'll shoot him on general principle. No, Yolanda, Yolanda, he ain't gonna do a goddamn motherfucking thing. Bitch, shut the f*** up! All right, everybody. Uh, welcome back to Gundam and MHQ, and we're gonna take a we're gonna be taking back a little bit, um, you know, some of the harder topics that we've been, you know, harder discussions that we've been doing pretty much the last couple of months here on uh, Gundam, and we've been making a concerted effort to get back to a lot of the great listener submitted uh, topics that you guys have posted on the Mecha Talk forum, um, and today. We're actually going to be doing one, and it's going to be from one of the more prolific posters on the uh, MechaTalk forum, and uh, somebody we've actually met in our first live um, show at MegaCon last year in Orlando, and that's the Hod. And I guess, Chris, the way I'm going to start this out, because I guess for Chris and for everybody out there, when you hear this phrase, my man, what do you, what do you think? Well, Chris, I mean, I know the audience can't answer this, but what do you think of when you hear my man? You know, it used to, you know, just be a, a general term for me mm-hmm. that would was every once in a while, but you know, ever since, say, you know, last year, it's been perverted. <laughs> and whenever I hear my man, what instantly comes to mind is some weak-willed, milk-toast, indecisive, wussy failure of a person. Yeah. Somebody worse than a mama's boy, I would think, right? I mean... That yeah. even would get pushed around by his own mom or her own mom. But, um, well, the HOTS topic is, and if I'm sure everybody out there already knows, when you hear the, my, the words, my man, we know what it is, and that would be Soul Bros Men. And today's topic is we're going to kind of talk about Soul Bros Men, some of the examples out there. We'll actually speak to Soul Bro and see what qualifies to be his man. And, uh, of course, we'll have... Um, rebuttals by myself neo and uh, chris so um as well as suggestions on potential soul bros men for shows that he hasn't seen exactly that oh, too man. and I'm excited you know we'll we'll definitely love to hear 
the insight and responses on the Mecca Talk forums uh, once this episode is posted. So, so today we're having a milk toast buffet. <laughs> yeah, I hope no one's lactose intolerant here. But um, yeah, it's I guess I guess it kind of all started with uh, once we started doing um, started Gundam, and you know originally. Uh, you know, one of the, the first things that we did were episode reviews of Gut Double O. And once Chris was added to the to the uh, as a host, um, this is when it really kind of blew up. And I guess the first sighting, the first verification and and recorded history of my man was the originator himself, the the King Arthur, the what else? Peter Pan, uh, the Jesus, uh, <laughs> Buddha, and all these other things. Saji Crossroad and. Um, so, bro, yes. what 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 attracted you, and what made uh, <laughs> made you decide to, to call him your man? I mean, because it, 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 when I hear the words "my man," I, I hear a connection. Is there is there like a, a connection between you two? I I I I think Saji's cool people, <laughs> man. Uh, I I you know what? I have this tendency to when I watch a show, mm-hmm. I I go for the. I, 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 I like that <laughs> most likable character to me is the character that is that I feel the most kinship with, right? And I guess Saji's that guy because <laughs> he's just an average dude thrown into the mix and he's gotta react and he seems like the audience to me. He seems like that guy who's kinda clueless, is clueless, you know, and so he's living let, a pretty pedestrian. Let, let me life. ask you this before you go any further. Right. Um what part of your life or in how many years did you live next to a a, a Gundam pilot? <laughs> And but he's also so utterly clueless he doesn't even know how to deal with a girlfriend. <laughs> I know which parts he's supposed to chase after her and try to make her feel better and do even the most basic things that a human would know how to do. And yeah, and, they, and the, the other the thing way. is, is, he, is she's a she's a she's a hot foreign exchange student. Oh, yeah, so I, he, I mean, in, in a lot of ways, he's he, that. Yeah, he's winning. But no, I, I gotta say though, that's that's it, it's not the kind of chick you'd see with a guy like him. It, she's kind of out of his league. I mean, I'm, he's out of her league. I'm sorry, I take that back. He's out of her league. He's out you of know, her he's league. He's kind of still overwhelmed. No, with she's the fact out of his league. <laughs> yeah, <she's>, okay. <laughs> you were you were right the first time. <laughs> I don't even I don't even I don't even know what to say. But um, no, she um, she, he's completely unprepared to have someone like that in his life, and um. She's so forceful. They, they're the complete opposite of each other. And um, but not to get into the whole, whole conversation about Saji himself. But Saji, I just relate to him the most. He's that underdog type of guy that has everything go wrong in his life, and he's got to cope. And you can see that you know they're going to break him down before he becomes a better person. Um, I hope to see that in a lot of shows because I just like to see the development of a character who comes up from nothing and becomes somebody. Some shows don't work out so well for like like rivals and um. And, and Code Geass, he's pretty much the same from start to finish. I thought that maybe they would have done something with his character. But, you know, I guess that's the whole point of his character is that he was there to witness, you know, some of these events. Well, um, I mean, let's let's kind of look at this, though. Some of you, the other, uh, you know, some of your other proclaimed men or what uh, rivals you've mentioned. Um, I'll take it back to I'll take it back Luca to in uh, mm-hmm. Frontier. Uh, we also had um, or some of the other ones here. Um, um, oh, Kensuke Ida in uh, Evangelion. Oh God, the oh, guy that's that boy took right pictures. There, man. Let me tell you what. That's that's my man right in that show. And I felt so bad for him. Evangelion, your man is Shinji Ikari because <laughs> Kensuke <is> awesome. <laughs> no man, wait a minute. He's Evangelion. The... Evangelion's the only example where one of Soul Bro's men is actually the main character. Yeah, <laughs> he's so so much of a wimp, useless, indecisive, milk toast, 
lets people run all over him and use him. Your man is Shinji Ikari, <laughs> not Kensuke. Well, Kensuke then, was and, the one that got constantly duked on, man. He, he he didn't he didn't get the pilot of the suit. At least Shinji got the pilot of the suit. He was the military otaku, and yeah. he did his thing, and yeah. he enjoyed it. Yeah, that is true. And and what else? There was Cy Argyle. Yeah, Cy Argyle, but you know, Cy Argyle, Cy Argyle had his crap together too, man. Now, he just he got punked by a better man. The the question that I have though, because you said I like to see a guy rise through mm-hmm. this show. Cy Argyle did not rise through. How did any, with the exception of the current, and we don't even know how this is going to relate when it comes to you bet it, you, you bet know, he did rise through. Saji Crossroad. How did they? How did any of these guys <laughs> <laughs> rise up and get better through the show? I mean, seriously. Cy Argyle did rivals. Right. He he had the sense to not show up in Destiny. <laughs> he also. He also raped the the strike Gundam and and made it look very embarrassing. Oh and, God! And like a wuss. Yeah, he cried yeah. in the cockpit. You don't N- cry in the cockpit. Not everybody suited. Only the pilot after the suit, lead. Man. Not not everybody suited. You know, Bright never got into mobile suit. He did fine. Freaking, he got into mobile suit. He found out he wasn't cut out for the job. Bright used mobile suits. Yeah. What, what did he use? The um. The uh the the construction ones or I mean did he ever yeah get... the construction ones and then and in Char's counterattack he uses uh, some little mini thing yeah the oh, petite yeah, mobile plus or his, whatever plus his chair would count as one as well <laughs> yeah I it's mean, so mobile and badass but I mean uh, you, you, I mean let's look at some of the, some of the other examples of Soul Bros men's cots cots no 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 I no you you ret- you, tra- you yeah you retract that statement no absolutely <laughs> no I'd rather have. <laughs> <laughs> why? Why is Cots my boy? Because you defend him. You've defended him, and it's been recorded okay, on this I, show. I, I've defended him. I've defended him in some degree, but yes, he's... and he fits the profile of your men. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so who's my boy in Double Zeta then? Is it? Is it? Is it those dudes that are Mondo? <laughs> Who? Beach's friend. Beach. What is it? Mondo. A Mondo. Mondo Akake. Yeah. <laughs> little ass. Little ass Mondo. Um. Maybe it's Eno. Oh. <laughs> Come on! You mean the the quiet oh, dude, the tall quiet dude, dude who yeah, who's, who's probably closeted. Yeah, <laughs> he was cool though. He wasn't so bad. He wasn't stupid like all these other guys from Shangri La. Oh my god! Yeah, I'd have to say probably Mondo would be more his Mondo, man because huh? he just didn't. I mean, he was just a dumbass more I, than I, anything. I guess it all. And he, fell for, and he fell for a moon girl. Yeah. Oh man, they were sexy, but there was a stupid plot line. <laughs> <laughs> But um, I guess what equates to my boy is is my inner spirit animal, the Krillin. Not your boy, because that's Pedo, no. my man. <laughs> my man. Yeah. What equates to my man is my inner spirit animal, the Krillin. If they fit, if they fit those those sidekick qualities, uh, like Krillin does. I don't know. In Dragon if Ball, I, I, that, I, kinda, I don't I know. I take kind of ex- offense for. People, cra- people crap on Krillin all the time. That's nah, the thing. Your man oh, in Dragon nothing. Ball is he's probably Reginald. He's nothing compared to the other characters. You know what? He was the only human being that helped to make a difference. <laughs> Not to get the Dragon Ball Z discussion, but I'm just saying. You're, you're unfairly equating Krillin with all these other losers. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's look at some other examples there. Give Chris. give the man give the man some credit. He fights and he has no nose. And yeah. Then, and and he how up, hard it is to live when you have no, no nose. nose. And he yeah. ended up with the hottest chick, one of the hottest chicks in the show. Hey, there you go. With so, <laughs> but but he actually knew what he was doing, and you know he didn't back down from He's the a smart fight, man. like most of those these these other my men. Oh my god! So you know, what, what would be some other examples, uh, Chris, of some more of the my mans out there for him? Well, uh, I think we should we should uh, nominate some 
some my mans for shows that Solbro hasn't seen. Okay. Well, we were talking earlier. Uh, I know we'll probably be seeing this, and this is one of those shows that um, you know we'll be doing one of these days is Macross Seven. Okay. And me and Chris have decided that your men were actually is going to be a group of men, my oh. mans in this one, and these would <laughs> because be because the... they're all individually so weak, they can't qualify on their own. Yeah. <laughs> they have to be together. And they are the guys of the the Jamie Birds, the uh, the musical group, the other musical group in Macross Seven. What, what are they? The mif- misfits to um, Macross Seven's Jim and the Holograms? <laughs> no, they're not. They're nowhere as cool. They're as the basically like, like a like an F grade American Idol. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Assembled by the military. Think about think about that Chinese guy that made that record of American Idol a couple years ago. <laughs> William Hung. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> And on top of that, these jamming birds are so low rent that all of their songs are from Macross 2. Yeah. What? Yeah. And they can't pilot at the same time. That so. is despicable, man. Yeah, they have yeah, to. Yeah, they can't pilot, so they have to have, they're, they're in two-seater Valkyries with a UNC <laughs> pilot flying for them while they sing, and when stuff blows up near them, they get all scared and stop singing. Yeah. It's weak sauce, man. I, I, they would have to be my boys. I'd, I'd oh, have... and one of them molest Mylene, so he's a pedo bear. Yeah. Oh, oh damn. How, how yeah. old is Mylene in that show, too? 16? Mm, uh, no. 12? 14, 14. 12. Oh, man. Yeah. Right in the 14, middle. 14, 15, I think. <laughs> I think she gets 15. Doesn't she have a... Yeah. Yeah. And let's see. What, would what, be about, some what about in Full Metal Panic? Who's I was about to say that. Full yeah. Metal Panic. I'm trying to remember. Uh, actually, it might be... I haven't seen the original show in a while, but they probably would be... Remember those those kids that are in the... Um, Sosuke's classmates, Chris. Yeah, the the military otaku. Yeah, I think he the, the, would actually. Kensuke act- wannabe. Yeah, the Kensuke, the Kensuke wannabe. wannabe. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine why anybody would want to be Kensuke, but hey. Yeah. <laughs> well, this guy is like to a freaky level. Yeah, he's oh, wow. he's a mirror image of uh, Kensuke. I remember him because I remember seeing the um the Fumofu episode where he had the the seed um he had the seed experience seed with panties. the panties. Yes. <laughs> he just is made. And weirder by the fact that in the Japanese version, he's voiced by the woman who does Kagali. Yeah, that's what, that's, that's what I remember you talking about. That's freaking awesome. That's just, that's just so even creepier. She so. must have had a good laugh when she read the script. <laughs> so, Chris, uh, some other nominations you would you probably have to say. Who, who, even though I've seen the show, who would be my boy in Dunbine? Oh, in Dunbine? Would it, would it be, would it be the, the, the Lord of Awe? <laughs> Uh, I don't know, man. I don't know if there was a my man in there. Would it be Neil Gibbons? It might be. Uh, was it Burn Burnings there? Yeah, Burn Burnings because he was he was such a horrible loser. I mean, this guy like he was so bad he had to become a masked man. Yeah, oh, man. Yeah, you you he's just he's really reaching. Yeah, usually and he became so emo when he put on that mask. Oh and became God. the black. I know. I know someone who would argue with you on that. Boy Wonder. He would have so argue with it that he loves that guy. He loves that dude. Well, I think he, he did it to cool things at the end, like yeah. you know when he stabbed Show in, in midair with the sword. But mm-hmm. uh, you know it, it, he's just such a whiny bitch that entire show. Yeah, and constantly keeps getting shown up by Show. Yeah, especially yeah, especially when he starts getting punked by Show like every week it seemed like and you know he's having to go back to drake loft and you know he's like trying to explain himself and he's like but he's got the dud by me of macross since we haven't done macross roundup yet yes uh original series are you thinking what i'm thinking there uh kakazaki no no Oh, don't even snow. No, 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 not, not, not Kai. Oh, do not say <laughs> oh yeah. Dude, no. Yes. 
Oh, God. I hate that bastard. What the heck is that guy? Oh, yes. Lin Kai Lin oh Kai Foon. He's like the he's like that he's like that character that shows up in the sitcom when Dude. it's like almost about to get c- canceled. Dude. <laughs> he matches, Only to help make it worse. He matches the qualities of of your man. Why? Whiny drunk later on after yeah. the war. First of all, the man could fight. Remember that remember the scene? I, yeah, I, but I, he never I, did fight. He would just let people like hit themselves and jump out of the way. Yeah. Wait, wait a minute though. He, yeah, he yeah, never he did never, punch anybody. Yeah, he right? never actually fought. That's right. I, I don't. He might not even known what he was doing. He, he was trained in the martial arts. You could easily tell. They make a reference to Why, that. Even Max Chinese? Sterling says that guy's got moves, man. Even Max had to give him some props earlier on when before he yeah, became I would, be, before I, I would, he revealed uh, his true bitch powers. I would agree with. Uh, <laughs> I would agree with that as Link Hyphoon. Link Hyphoon, huh? Another one of your men. It couldn't quite possibly sticking, sticking with the Macross franchise, uh, <laughs> about Macross Plus. <laughs> um, God, I haven't seen that. That big while. dude with the glasses? Yang Newman. Yeah. Is that him? The guy with the black girlfriend? No, no. The, the design of the 19. Yeah. The... Oh. <laughs> oh, man, you guys so suck. And then what a Macross Zero. Probably, um, oh, the, uh, what was it? Shin's, uh, Shin's co-pilot? Lasal. Yes. The token black guy who yeah. keeps dying but not dying. Yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> like the first time the play gets Shin gets shot down and you're like, oh man, that's too bad. The dude's gone. And then like an episode later. It has the same family name as Claudia, but they've never bothered to explain. Yes. <laughs> I think they just got lazy on that one. How about uh, Macross Two? I need to sit that. I'm gonna have again. to. Draw, I'm drawing a blank on because I don't. I have never seen all all of Macross Two all the way. <laughs> For being in a no. franchise that got retconned. <laughs> I got. I got it. I got it. Who? The gay hairstylist. <laughs> oh my Christ! Oh my God! I'm now. Now I have to finish oh. up Macross Two. What about He's so totally fabulous in that early '90s way? What about in a, a show we recently had did a uh, spotlight on Gurren Logan? Who did we say that was his man on that one? Could we not find? Was it the? Uh, was it the Hank? Was it Rossio? No, no, no. Because Chris, Chris, Chris defends Rossio. <laughs> I don't defend Rossio. You don't defend Rossio. No, that's Pedal Bear. Pedal Bear. Pedal Bear does. Oh, that is Pedal Bear. Yeah. But it, it wasn't Rossio because you guys said it was somebody else. So I, you, you were, you were considering Rossio, but I, I liked Rossio. I thought, I thought in some ways he was kind of justified, but at the same time, I didn't want to see Simon get messed up like that. But this got to be someone else in that show that showed up. The uh, Hank Hill guy. The guy that was... Uh, oh, you mean Cotton? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, he, he did pretty well for himself, man. He yeah, this might be... He got with that hot engineer chick, man. I don't know what to say, man. He, if we're not talking, man, that guy was all right. <laughs> and let's not forget the uh, the blonde guy that tried to dance with Relina and Wing. Another one of uh, Solbro's men. Wait a minute. I know who's I, I know who's my boy, Gurren Logan. The dude mm. that got punked for the Gurren. Oh, no, was it the Logan? The dude that got... What? No, yeah, the luck viral? gun. Remember when um when Kamina jacked the suit for the first time? The oh, dude, the guy he stole it from the, the monster. He, he's the oh monster yeah, he yeah. stole it from. <laughs> you never saw his ass again. <laughs> Either that or the dude that's in the um the jail scene when um Simon goes to jail oh, and they're yeah. having that three way fight and, that, and he just gets the ass kicked out of him. Yeah, the bird dude. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you you said it, not us. Hey man, I'm just I'm just throwing y'all a bone. <laughs> All right, let's see. Let's let's kind of finish up with some more uh, with some more Soul Bros men, especially some men that maybe that he hasn't seen. How about uh, wait, wait a minute? Ghost in the Shell. Who? Wait, are you talking about the movies or the TV show? TV show. Hmm. Uh, is it is it the King of Mullets? No, nah, Togus is too cool. No, don't you <laughs> dare. don't 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 even go there, dude. Don't you dare. He's too cool. 
He's <laughs> way too cool. Wait a minute. Is it CEO Jameson? The dude in the tin can that runs the... No, <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, you know who Solbro's man is? I'm trying to think. Who's that? tell you who Solbro's man is. Who? In episode three of the first season, the guy who doesn't like his parents, so he has his brain put in the uh. tanks. <laughs> oh, man. I got one better for you. The guy that all the parents did was they just sat in front and prayed to his picture the whole time as, as, yes. his, as his creation is rampaging through Tokyo and killing people left and right. I, I got one better for you. The dude in the second season in one of the earlier episodes, he was, um, he was one of the um, refugees who lost half his body in the war. And he had all these visions of taking revenge upon people but never exploited them. Wow. And, and, they were, they were, and, and Section 9 was doing surveillance on the guy. And, you know, they just said he's just nah, a delusional I, dude I agree who, never, tank, who, never, who never take action against, you know, he'll, I, never, I, he'll I, never pull off these, these grand schemes of uh, revenge because he's just too chicken, too chicken ass. <laughs> no, I, I'd have to agree with Chris Tank Boy on that one. Tank cause, Boy? Yeah, because I, I couldn't even believe you said we're even mentioning the most one of the best mullets since Barry Melrose. Oh, man, I'm telling you. I mean, no. <laughs> He's way too cool to well, ever best be. Best is Barry Melrose and Solid Snake. Yes. That's right. Yes. Togusa. Six, um, six shooter Togusa. What else? Uh, what, 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 kind of finish this up a little bit, Go Chris, ahead. here. Let's see. What else? Uh, maybe. Uh, some... Nadesco. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a controversial uh, series around MHQ. Well, there's, um, there's one character I already know off the top of my head. Who, who would yours be? June. I was actually a big. I, I, I like June a lot. And I, he got, yeah, I could so see played. June. <laughs> the one time he tries to be cool in the mech, he gets oh, he, completely punked. He got effed yeah. so bad. And he, 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 he uh, mindlessly chased uh, what's her face while she was chasing around um, Akito. Yeah, it's like yeah. he so wanted Eureka and he never got any yeah. of that. Ever. I was afraid you were going to say guy, but guy no, is no, way say, too oh, cool to ever no, be one no, of your guys men. Guy's way out of my league, sir. Yeah. <laughs> What about Escaflown? Uh, um, because that's that's another one of uh, Solbro's one of his favorite ones. Gaddis? No. <laughs> he was an awesome guy. Oh man, I'm I'm just uh, saying some names. Oh, maybe Delando. No. <laughs> Your woman, Delando. Really? Yeah, I guess. Actually, no. Um, I thought the not one Delando. That wussy guy and his dragon slayers that he was always beating up on. Yes. Oh, oh, I know like, what you're talking about. Like little Bob, apple bob cut. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I forget his name, but he would beat the crap out of that poor kid. Yeah. I don't think that guy had a name. He was just he there. Was, he was pilot he, B. He had a name because he was naming off people as they were getting slaughtered by Van later on in the show. And in a later, when after they got killed, he was just sitting there like in a catatonic state, just saying that they were all gone. He was naming names, so I have to look it up, but I know that guy had a name. Hey, Chris, what, a, what about Votomes? Wow, that's hard. That Votomes is hard. Votomes has so many manly men in it. Even the chicks are manly. <laughs> and they're all And bold. Let's see. That could, be, that could be My Man Free. Could be one of those few shows my that is man My Man Free. free. Oh, you know, who, you know who would be Solbro's man? Who? Because mm. uh, he was always uh, such a coward and just a rascal. That guy who uh, pretended to be a priest for a few arcs, that old fat guy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember who you're talking about. I get to look forward to seeing this guy. That was, um, that was after the Kumin arc, wasn't it? No, it was. First, he was in Uod. He was in Uod yeah, and that... Kumin pretended to be a priest. That's right. Yeah, because he showed up in both. Yeah, That's okay. Terrible. I know exactly. Okay. I know who you're talking about now. Yeah, so I guess my, I guess Votomes is not my man free. I mean, there's there's ver, there's some sh, there's some, it's that's very Oro. Hard. yeah that's the name. 
I don't know if you guys can remember all the characters in uh, Die Guard, but anybody in that show? I haven't seen Die Guard in years. Oh man, uh, I can't really remember. I don't. Maybe I was always cool with. Uh, I forget his name, but the um, the third pilot of the suit, the one that always bitching out. Um, uh, oh, the character. the kind of preppy dude. Yeah. Yeah. Nah, he's too cool and debonair. Yeah, I think he was. Yeah, he, and he ended up with the nerdiest chick of the show, which is like so awesome. <laughs> and he, and, and uh, Neo, just to be complete dicks to to close it off for potential uh-oh. soul bros man. Mm-hmm. G Savior. <laughs> what? <laughs> when you say every character, good. I think I remember who you're talking about. He was. Man, I would say the token Hispanic guy. Yeah, that's who I was thinking of. He's such a wimp. Yeah, that's true. Oh my God, you guys forgot someone special, man. Who? You forgot the the second runner-up of the Seed Universe, man. Kuzay Buzzkirk, man. <laughs> that's true. Well, what about Destiny? Do you think there was um? Do you think oh, there man. was a, a a my man in Destiny? Of course. Let me guess. Shin. Absolutely. Who? <laughs> Roma, Saren. Oh. Yes. Cockley's, um, yeah, Beyonce. the guy that would uh, he Hold would on, lay go. with the body pillow with the little sleeping hat on. Who got punched by a girl? Who got punched by a girl? And who was crying the whole episode? the crying the whole show? <laughs> it's one of those moments everybody stood up and applauded in that show. Well, Chris, just to close this off because we've had a lot of good suggestions on this, and I'm sure we'll get some more on the Mecha Talk forum. Absolutely. When when you uh, when you first heard the my man. Did it kind of just take you back a little bit? Because I'm sure it was one of those things like with me where I, I had to hear it a couple of times. And as he became very passionate about the the upcoming realization of Asaji Crossroad, it was just mm-hmm. like there is a trend here. And then, you know, really and really comparing it with some of the other people when he started using the My Man moniker. Um, it took me aback when I started listening to the show before I joined it, and I hear this guy talking about my man Sadie Crossroad. I'm like, what is this dude smoking? Yeah, because in such a great show and and, and, and such a departure from uh, you know the previous incarnation of Gundam to really pick up on a character that was maybe what ten, eleven characters down from from the top mm-hmm. is bottom uh, tier, <laughs> D list of the bottom tier of. Um, yeah, it's, I, I mean, know, I don't know if you guys know this, but if you go to the um, television's tropes and idiom site, is there my man? You, if you look up, um, if you look up, I forget where it's at, but um, oh there God. is a reference to us calling him King Arthur on there. Gundam likes to call Saji Crossroad King Arthur oh. due to this. Chris, we have to, <laughs> we have to contact the people at TV Tropes because it needs to, it needs to state. Soul Bro Ryu of Gundam and MHQ it was, it's, states it, that he's King Arthur. It's a section where it's like nicknames the internet has given certain characters. Oh, God. Like um, Table Chan in uh, Code Geass. They, um, King Arthur's there for Saji Crosso due to us. So um, I did find that pretty interesting oh, to boy. see that. We need to clear our names. <laughs> we need to clear our names, Chris. That was a nine, baby, man. Saji's coming. But I guess I guess in kind of retrospect, even though it was one of these these kind of head slapping things that me and Chris have to go through all the time and go through the the ridiculous um, waiting and anticipation of Soul Bro, and you know even when he uh, you know when Saji does something even right for once, he's like here he comes. But it's it's actually become a very interesting thing for for forum talk and even for the show too. And I'm sure as we get new Gundam shows and new Macross shows and new shows in general. The, the, new the, awesome the spirit of designate. my man 
will will live on and you know um i'm sure i'm sure even the japanese are listening to us because it might be might be the next thing is you know be like oh we need sobro my man now so all the king's men all the king's men sobro any closing thoughts of your men um and how awesome they are not it's some some fall short some of them actually exceed expectations very few of them do but it's like they do and at least they're entertaining to watch because they add a little flavor to the show at Cr- least for me chris any alone. any uh any words of disgust and um before, yeah, words before of we disgust leave. is definitely uh the way of putting it it's <laughs> just one of these facts that uh my man is is one of the uh most shameful aspects of our podcast that will haunt us till you know the day that we die it's quite ironic that we had a discussion you know a couple episodes ago about what's more important the characters of the mecha and a thing and, and i Solbro stated he liked the characters but then he what is he like <laughs> the lower tier d-list character that's so right man. i just find Bottom that kind of funny but um well everybody uh, i guess we'll be getting on here um this was just kind of a funny offbeat topic and it's something that needed to be addressed because uh, there's been a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of feedback from both sides uh, from the my man faction and and you know the anti sajanistas like me and Chris and, and um, you know one of our roving forum squelchers uh, wingnut there so but um, we'll be back with some more mech news and you know probably a little bit more serious and some reviews and stuff you're listening to Gundam at MHQ. Describe what Marcellus Wallace looks like. What? Say what again. Say what again. I dare you. I double dare you motherfucker. Say what one more goddamn time. Level. Nine. A lot of games don't necessarily teach accountability. You get you get a free pass here and there. With Mega Man, if you mess up, it's your own fault. Because these games uh, follow a pattern. That's right. It's, your, it's That's right. up to you to learn this pattern, memorize this pattern, and work uh, with the pattern. I find myself playing this game, and if I mess up, if I die, if I hit spikes or something like that, uh, you know, I, I take too many hits or something like that, I don't get upset. You know what I say to myself? You know what? I deserve that. It's a more I should have like, known. It's more like two steps forward, yeah. one step back, not one step forward, two steps back, because mm-hmm. it's up to you to trial and error to memorize these patterns and continue on. Not like mm-hmm. these okay. cheap ass games like yeah. They're Alive Four, <laughs> where no matter what the hell you do, the, the computer's going to keep cheating you. Listen, and it's like life is challenging. Everybody, you have to pay attention. And you have to learn from your mistakes. Learn from them, get better, and then succeed. And that, in the end, is what Mega Man teaches everybody. And and now as an adult... time's over. Keep your eyes open, Rush. I don't trust these guys as far as I can kick them. Kick them! Walter, I love you, but sooner or later you're going to have to face the fact you're a goddamn moron. What up, gang? And welcome to um, the close for our episode 26 of Gundam at MAHQ. In this episode, we reviewed the start of season two of Mobile Suit Gundam Double O, episodes one through three of Gundam Double O. And also, we spoke about our Gundam spotlight on new mobile report, Gundam Wing Endless Waltz, that with our um, special guest host, Amaro NT1. Thank you for being there, Amaro. You're awesome as usual. 
And last but not least, we also talked about all the all the all the so bros men. Well, actually, before you say that, that was actually a listener submitted topic. Yes. I'd like to thank the Hod for the submission of the the we're gonna, we sat back and the three of us looked back and and looked at the history and the future and the common link of what's been known as soul bros men the future of milk toast yes <laughs> <laughs> but um we talked about all that and um you guys any you guys have any last um any last words to say everyone have a good holiday it's is probably the you'll probably hear this in 2009 but <laughs> You know, have a good holiday and, um, you know, look for us in 2009 and, you know, keep doing what you guys have been doing, uh, submitting us articles, topics, and your support. Right on. See you in 2009. Big things for MHQ then? Big Uh, things coming? Yeah. Some mysterious happenings. Yes. Behind the scenes. Duke Nukem. May be brought to light. We will see. To be continued, gang. Also, I like to I like to tell everybody to peep the websites, um, mahq.net, which is the mother of all mecha websites. You, you, you guys know the site, um, gundam.net, where you can check our podcasts and blogs and everything like that, which is in um, need of some new blog postings. And um, you can find us on MySpace um, under the uh, username of Gundam the Show. Um, and you also can find us on Facebook. Just search up Gundam. Um, you can reach us by email by going to gundammahq at gmail.com. And you can join our discussion on our various episodes at the official forums of mahq.net, which is mechatalk.net. We have a, well, you can join any any board there, but we also have a specific board dedicated to Gundam there. And uh, last but not least, if you're looking for um, episodes of Gundam, you can either go to gundam.net and download them from there. Or if you like iTunes or Zune, you can get on there and just type in the keyword. <laughs> Zune, what the heck is yeah. that? What is that garbage? <laughs> actually, actually, know a few Zune Zune owners, just a few. But um, if you just type in Gundam, sure you, sure you do. <laughs> in my own mind, type in Gundam and you'll find our podcast, and you're more than welcome to download, listen to it for free. That's right, we don't charge for this. Not yet. We should, but we don't. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's always going to be free. But so we're um, taking it too far now. I know, I know. I'm just, just get us out of here. Just, I've got my chest is so inflated. But I anyway, have go, I have to go. To the, I'm, I'm ready I have to, to go to the mall. Everybody's everybody's looking to pee and shop. So I'm gonna go ahead and let you guys go. And thank you for listening to Gundam at MAHQ. We'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye. Another horrible beer. <laughs> <laughs>